This is Unfilter, episode 187 for May 11th, 2016. What's really irritating about this incredibly puffy profile of Ben Rhodes is how smug he sounds in bragging about bamboozling the press. He talks about using uh, the media as an echo chamber. He and his deputies say that reporters uh, know nothing about policy, these young reporters they deal with, and so they feed them color and talking points, which are then kind of repeated online and on Twitter. Uh, And, you know, it's not that this doesn't go on to some degree in every administration, but usually you don't have the deputy national security uh, advisor bragging about it on the record. Death, kill. Murder, death, kill. No, this is not episode 187, murder, death, kill edition. No, this is just your standard run-of-the-mill edition of Unfiltered, Jupiter Podcasting's weekly show of the news that you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. That was a movie reference to Demolition Man. Watch it. That's Chris over there with a new video player. Hey, Chris. <laughs> Hopefully less encoding artifacts this week, Mr. Chase. Coming those, up, were, those were real. People, yeah, those but, were real. Yes. Uh, we got a big show this week. Of course, there is much to talk about in all aspects. Cybersecurity, terrorism, Russia waving the big flag of war. Of course, the boogeyman Putin and the war on weed oh, lights well, up this the, week. What about the war on vaping devices? Yes, that too. We, yes. got, we have some of that. Plus also uh, a discussion, as you saw in the intro, around uh, what exactly is so damn wrong with the press. Uh, the White House basically laid it all out for us in the New York Times, and we'll tell you about that. But we should start with cyber I news. the cyber. You know, there's this gal over on RT, and she can't do a news report without some music playing to it. So you'll have to forgive the over-bubbly presentation here. Oh. But the content is it's it's, just so is worth it. Is this guy on Chick Chick Chicken? Chick Chick Chicken? No, this is uh the uh they have this show called let's hold on. They say they have the name here. The the resident. Okay? But whatever happened to what's her face? Chick Chicken? I forgot. No, no, I forgot. Abby Martin. Yeah, whatever happened. She's to her? just doing her own thing now. Oh, She's right. out doing her own thing. Okay. Uh, and uh, so this is RT's The Resident. She's going to talk about the NSA. She's got well, you could probably pass on the presentation, but the information useful. You know, it sucks that the NSA spies on us all the time. Oh, yeah. But maybe we can take some consolation in knowing that at least they spy on themselves, too. The NSA's own employees are being watched by the NSA and not just when they're at work. Apparently, the NSA is going to start spying on its own employees when those employees are off duty, chilling at home. That's according to a new report by the NSA's director of security, Kemp Enser. The report said that since national security workers go online when they're at home, the NSA is going to monitor them there, too. They say they want to make sure their employees aren't doing anything stupid online, like downloading child porn or doing other illegal activities. Yeah, child porn is actually the reason for monitoring child porn. Yeah. And the The reason the NSA feels like they have to do that is because their employees tend to do stupid, illegal stuff online. Many national security workers have been investigated for child porn in the past, repeatedly. One NSA contractor with top secret clearance actually confessed to spending 50 to 60 bucks every month on fees for various porn websites. 
seriously, all these NSA workers keep looking at child porn. Well, wait a minute. Now, if you're paying for porn, you're probably that's probably not child porn, right? No, no. I mean, well, I guess you probably pay for child porn, but if it's a monthly subscription, that's that's probably legit porn. Yeah, it's probably like real good stuff. You know what? Part of me is thankful <laughs> that he's paying for the good stuff rather than looking at our pictures with the data they collect. Right, absolutely. Online. <laughs> As Daniel Payne, director of the Pentagon's Defense Security Service, put it, the amount of child porn he sees on government devices is just unbelievable. This All right, I'll leave it at that. I can't stand it. Unbelievable. She gets into some of the stats, but I just can't stand it, Chase. We're going to move on from, from that particular one. Uh, all right, so I wanted to do uh, a little busting with you. Are you ready for this? This next thing is the next big trend. I have information in the Wait, show notes. Busting? We're gonna No, busting. Oh, busting. A little busting. Hype the busting. best security professionals build their body of knowledge every day. Can now, can you guess what I'm playing a clip for? I'm going to see how far you until you can guess what this is for and what it's about. Ooh. Through experience, talking with colleagues, attending conferences, and staying up to date with online sources like blogs, research papers, and publications. The world produces enormous amounts of security-related data with detailed threat intelligence every day. And 80% of this is unstructured and intended for human consumption. All right, there's your big hint, Chase. Who is this an ad for? Which player wants to get into the cybersecurity space by replacing humans? Do you need another hint? I do. I'm, right. I'm a little... That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Making it inaccessible to traditional systems. But security analysts can only consume and make sense of a fraction of this data. Poor, poor humans. Further complicated by the shortage in skills and expertise. Oh, dumb humans. As a result, the vast majority remains untapped and dark to an organization's defenses. It's time to shine the light on this universe of unstructured data. To- All right, Chase. What do you think? What do you think, Chase? Who is this an ad for? Oh God, I I am really perplexed. I mean, if you if you I mean, if, if everybody saw my face right now, it'd yeah, be it's just good. like it's good. You really got no idea. I have it's no a whole clue. lot of crap, right? Like they're going big. Right? I mean, I obviously, I mean, the chat room. Uh, do you want some more cra- hints? Yeah, All I right. mean, I, I'm I'm what I gotta go with the big big ones out there. What, All right, IBM, so, um, oh, okay, hold, hold on, I'll give you some hints before before you say All any right. names. Full court press today. Okay, they're taking. It to universities. They're going to work with 11 universities to train the machines. Google. Right, hold on. you got to tell me when you want to guess. I'll pull the channel. I'll have I to- don't want to pull it yet. Oh, gosh. I mean, you know who works with universities a lot? Google does. And this could be one of their alphabet companies, right? So. You want me to pull the handle? Yeah, go ahead, pull it. <laughs> I don't know. Is it... Alphabet Inc. No, it no, is. Of it is not. actually. I'm sorry, of course Chase. Not. No, I know. I'm is sorry. Is it Russia? No, 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 no. The NSA? No, no. no, no. A three-letter company? It is a three-letter company. Is it IBM? Really? It is. It is IBM. Oh my God! And help analysts outthink and outpace threats. At IBM, we're training Watson for cybersecurity. It's Watson. They're training Watson for cybersecurity. So he goes from Jeopardy. Yeah. To to guarding my data. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Learning about cybersecurity. It, it, pretty soon I'm going to come home. Watson's <laughs> going to become self-aware. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm going to die. <laughs> That's A what's going to happen. A generation of cognitive systems. Cognitive systems, Chase. I, I need to leave. It <laughs> can analyze security-relevant structured and unstructured data in order to understand, reason, and learn about constantly evolving threats. It's about building instincts and expertise. It's about building AI. To those of security professionals, but at a scale like we've never seen. The result? Watson for Cybersecurity will arm analysts with the collective knowledge and instinct to respond to threats with greater confidence and speed. Hoorah! Step up to the cognitive era. Throw an eagle in there! Step IBM up. IBM Security. All right, that logo sucks. IBM Security. How about that? Is that not something? That's scary in a bit, in a little bit of yeah. a way. It's like I know. I, I, that's why I wanted to like play it with uh, play it with you because uh, wow. The, uh, I uh, the idea of throwing Watson at it's very and you know actually analyzing cybersecurity threats is a is an interesting set of data. I guess Watson threatened to walk if he didn't get a good job, and so he got a good job. And he's going to be de- – exactly. <laughs> that was Watson. Watson's yeah. like, that's it. Okay. So right. I want to give you a demonstration of uh, what I call preemptive propaganda. All right. And this is something that only the most lapdog of lapdog medias does, and that is where they preemptively pin- paint a situation as the other guy is doing something wrong when they know – that our own government is actually the aggressor. So this is this is one more exercise we're going to do. Uh, this couple of things that CNN is doing here that are really cute. And uh, I'll give you a hint. The first one is, for those of you that don't know, Russia played a very, very significant role in World War II. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's an important part of their culture. And so they, they, se- they celebrate that every single year. It is a big deal for them. It has always been a big deal for them. And the United States is very grateful for the sacrifices that Russia made in World War II. Uh, And so what CNN has done here is they have taken Russia's yearly celebration of the anniversary of World War II. Oh, no. And they've spun it as Putin being militarily aggressive and (laughs) – that there, form. There is there is a hidden gem in here that is so gorgeous. I'll have more information oh, in the show notes. Form. Here we go. Vladimir Putin in his element. Victory Day in Moscow, commemorating the Soviet Union's World War II role in the defeat of Nazi Germany. But this is also the Russian president's moment to show off his new military the one he spent billions to overhaul. Putin, eager to display the discipline of his forces, soldiers high-step in unison, tilt their heads in deference, and for the first time, a battalion of female soldiers appears, marching in white skirts. And he's trying to project strength, and he's trying to harken back to the time when the country was united in a common purpose uh, to fight a common enemy. Where is he getting that from? This is a stand. This is something they do all the time. Yeah, and this is one of those situations where. And if this was the first time we had included women in our military, this would be a press. Oh, bonanza. It, would, it would be blown up. It would be spun as Obama is a revolutionary of, of an inclusionary. Obama is changing the U.S. military for for the better. It would be. A, but when they talk about Putin bringing in females to the military, yeah. no, it's him. It's him going back to the good old days. It's him being aggressive and thinking about communism. Trying to harken back to the time when the country was united in a common purpose. 
uh, to fight a common enemy. And that is the symbol of World War II, and that's what he's relying on. And again, for many Russians who were raised during the Soviet period, this is what they understand. At least if you want to talk about anybody that is relying on the post-World War II architecture, it would be the United States of America. Raised during the Soviet period, this is what they understand. At least twice, Putin uses a charged phrase from the Cold War. Comrades. What's he trying to project? Putin is trying to appeal to all of the positive elements of Russia's past, both imperial and certainly Soviet. Projections of power and masculinity are Putin's political lifeblood. He loves being shown playing exhibition hockey, though he recently took a tumble on the ice. (laughs) Putin seemingly couldn't resist one salvo aimed at his rivals. I like this one because, uh, of course, they take it as aimed at us, and it kind of is. It's about us financing terrorism in Syria. Double standards, as well as short-sighted indulgence of those who nurture criminal plans, are impermissible. A remark interpreted by some as Putin taking a swipe at the U.S. Which, what I love about that read, is that is the mainstream media telling you that we are behind those things. Because if you are calling those things out and then you interpret that as a swipe at you, that means you are guilty of those things. Do you understand what they just said right there? Great point. Criminal plans are impermissible. A remark interpreted by some as Putin taking a swipe at the U.S. for its support of some rebel groups in Syria, which Russia considers terrorists. This comes in the wake of several close calls, which U.S. officials view as dangerous. Now, it turns out there might be a reason why Russia has been a little upset recently. A Russian jet barrel rolling a U.S. military aircraft. And this Russian buzzing of the USS Donald Cook. Moves seen as showing Putin's anger over the U.S. ramping up its forces and maneuvers in Eastern Europe. Now, he doesn't really say what I don't. Well, he might. He gives you a hint of what's coming up. When he says moves, he means this Thursday we are doing something historic. On Thursday, NATO inaugurates a land-based missile defense system in Romania. We are putting an- we are turning on another missile defense system in his backyard <laughs> on Thursday, which Russia is protesting. You think? Yeah. You think? You think they would maybe mind that? Remember how we promised we weren't going to do that? Remember how we promised that? NATO inaugurates a land-based missile defense system in Romania. So this entire piece begins with how aggressive Russia is, strutting their military strength, talking about the vision of masculinity that Putin gives out. The entire piece, we are now all the way into this thing, and it's about how aggressive Russia is, but yet we and NATO are the ones turning up missile bases in Romania on Thursday. Uh. So they're the aggressive ones, but we're the ones turning up missiles. Which Russia is protesting. But U.S. and NATO officials say those deployments are defensive, a response to Putin's aggression in Crimea. What? Wow. That's how we roll. So uh, we are directly involved with the new Ukrainian government, which is a total pile of crap, by the way, yep. which is direct hostile involvement in another, in another sovereign nation's government. Crimea has a populist vote. 
to succeed and join Russia, and yet that's aggression? So <laughs> the U.S. being directly involved, Joe Biden's last living son now being the VP of an oil company that works at Ukraine, us securing the oil lines, the pipelines, none of that, none of that's aggressive. That that selling out Ukraine now to U.S. and West companies – Private companies. That's not that's not aggressive. But what's aggressive is holding a vote and having the people vote to succeed. And yes, of course, it was much more complicated than that. And yes, of course, they've been doing more things than they claim they have. But let's let's be a little real here. On Thursday, NATO inaugurates a land-based missile defense system in Romania, which Russia is protesting. But U.S. and NATO officials say those deployments are defensive, a response to Putin's aggression in Crimea and Ukraine. This is definitely a very dangerous moment in the relationship between the United States and Russia. President Putin um, and his colleagues have used rhetoric about the possibilities of limited nuclear war. President Putin has said in response to some of the things emanating from the White House, you know, maybe the United States has forgotten that we're a nuclear power. One of the great things about who they've chosen to go with here is uh, she's from the Transatlantic Academy, which is literally an institution that is an Atlantist institution that is about expanding all across the Atlantic Ocean and about making Europe dependent on the U.S. That's So CNN could not have found a more biased source for commentary <laughs> because that is their foundation's core mission. And yet somehow that's who they that they couldn't find anybody else less biased to get an analysis of the situation. Wow. This woman talking is basically she has an agenda. A very dangerous moment in the relationship between the United States and Russia. President Putin um, and his colleagues have used rhetoric about the possibilities of limited nuclear war. President Putin has said in response to some of the things emanating from the White House, you know, maybe the United States has forgotten that we're a nuclear power. The White House probably recommended her. say, look for both sides to ratchet up the tension even more. Putin is likely to send troops and possibly even nuclear warheads right to NATO's doorstep. Interesting tonight, Wolf, in that Victory Day parade, Putin also unveiled this new, very mysterious unit of the military called the National Guard. It is designed to protect him in the event of a coup attempt. <laughs> I like that it's called the National Guard, too. That's pretty great. Uh, do, wow. you, do you remember that Obama has a kill list, uh, like a drone kill list? Do you remember when we covered the kill list? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've linked to it in the past. It's it's called the kill list. Everybody knows about the kill list. It's, it's one of the darker things. And, uh, you know, I suppose if we had heard another culture, say maybe another group, say maybe ISIS had something like a kill list, that, that would be barbaric. But when we have a kill list... Well, that's just organized. Impact segment tonight, according to the Wall Street Journal, the Islamic State has begun distributing long lists of ordinary citizens what? they want to see assassinated. Quite the story. Join us in Washington, Fox News Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herod. So I understand you have some new information for us tonight, Catherine. Well, Bill, I was able to take a look at two of these kill lists, uh, courtesy of Memory, which is the Middle East Media Research Institute that tracks ISIS. And for the most part, these lists looks, look like they've been drawn from municipal databases, property records. Uh, some of them are like spreadsheets with a name, an address, and a phone number. One of them's like a photocopy of Obama's list. So anyways, I, don't, right. I didn't really have a point other than I just wanted to play that. I thought it's kind of interesting that when ISIS does it, it's disgusting. When we do it, it's just sort of how we roll. Uh, there's really something I want to 
get into today. Uh, your buddy, my good friend, Ben Rhodes, has gotten ben. himself in a whole heap of trouble. He's been bragging about how easy it was to manipulate the media around the Iran deal, an issue that Fox News had sort of picked up on. The United States has been able uh, to resolve the most pressing nuclear non-proliferation concern that we had when we came into office. This is uh, this here is Ben Rhodes. He's the deputy national security advisor to President Obama. We've been able to prevent Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon. There has been an attempt by opponents of the Iran deal to suggest that somehow the effort to protect the deal was based solely on spin. All of you have had multiple opportunities to talk to Ben. He smiles when he says it, because, oh. he, and he has to read it, too. He can't even say it from memory. Uh, on a range of foreign policy issues, uh, and I think, uh, I think all of you appreciate uh, the commitment that he has demonstrated to working with all of you to help uh, inform your viewers and readers. All this reaction uh, to a New York Times magazine piece about Ben Rhodes, Deputy National Security Advisor, a piece in which uh, a lot of eyebrows were this? raised, uh, quotes uh, from this about the Iran deal, uh, quote, we created an echo chamber. All these newspapers used to have foreign bureaus. Now they don't. They call us to explain to them what's happening in Moscow and Cairo. Most of the outlets are reporting on world events from Washington. This is why... This right here is Ugh. why the mainstream media is not getting it any better than podcasters are, because we're all working from the same set. I'm going to read the little. This is from the New York Times article. I have this linked in the show notes. If you'd like to read the whole thing, it's 11 pages long, and these quotes are the juiciest. Uh, quote: We created an echo chamber. All these newspapers used to have foreign bureaus. Now they don't. They call us to explain to them what's happening. In this is the Deputy National Security Advisor. Moscow and Cairo. Most of the outlets are reporting on world events from Washington. The average reporter we talk to is 27 years old. And their only reporting experience consists of being around political campaigns. That's a sea change. That is the devastating thing right there. Oof. Their only experience is around political campaigns. Seven years old. And their only reporting experience consists of being around political campaigns. That's a sea change. They literally know nothing. Completing on that basically that's how the Iran deal all came together. We're back with the panel. No, um, that's not really what they said. That that was part of selling the right. Iran deal. Yeah. And that they sort of outright lied about a few of the details. And, you know, we sit here and this is astonishing. This is the White House essentially saying that the press pool is full of a bunch of rookies who have no experience, who have no resources, who just eat up whatever we tell them. And it's simply just a matter of us creating an echo chamber. I personally know some reporters that would vehemently disagree with that. I mean, they, they are not rookies and, and they're young, but they... Uh, they uh, attempt to hold the uh, to steal a line the powerful account uh, to hold the powerful accountable, uh, but there are some that obviously probably fit right into that stereotype that he speaks of. You know, they're young, they don't have these international bureaus, which I I, I don't believe. I mean, I know CNN and ABC. I mean, a lot of them have you know overseas bureaus and stuff, but but it's true I mean, in some ways. I don't think I don't think. It Hi there. I don't think it is uh, them not having overseas bureaus. I think it's simply a matter of reduction of resources, and oh, yeah. they don't bother to fact check it. No, they just they take it as fact. they take it as gospel. Because and, and unfortunately, I think it's a victim of the new way of news reporting and distribution. 
before there wasn't an urgency where you had to get the news out within a minute or two. You could thoroughly fact check. You could go ahead and send out those resources. But now we're in a 24 – you've heard this line. You know, we're in a 24-7 news cycle, and there's competing services all over the place where you can put out a quote in an instant on Twitter, and they don't have the time because everything's so driven by ratings and the mighty dollar that they don't have the opportunity – uh, to do that fact check and mm-hmm. to do that research and to be thorough. And unfortunately, you know, our attention spans, and I'm not saying ours, but I think us as just general people, attention spans are so short now where we need, we want that quick one or two lines, what's going on, and that's it. And we don't care if it's true or not. Yeah. We don't even don't, sit don't there. Don't you think, though, that we some don't of this sit there is... and pause and consider if it is or not? We just take it in. We do. And this is, I think, what's led to the situation we are now in this 2016 election cycle. And either if Trump or Hillary gets in, it's partially because of this. I just find the the, what this what this tells us from the White House directly is that the media, at least in this regard, in mass, this mass, this mass marketed, mass productized, mass delivered media that we that is the main media we all listen to is crap. Now, I'm not saying there's not good journalism out there, but the main stuff is junk and you know, sort of unscheduled, but I just – as a sidebar, I want to mention patreon.com slash unfilter. I actually think this is – you were kind of touching on it. It's ratings chasing. Oh, yeah. It's about yeah. – it's it's since since the official line is coming from the U.S. government, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. You can take it and print it, and that's what they go with. You're not going to get And the fired. problem is – and the problem is and if they don't print it, no matter if it's true or not, if they, they just say, you know what, we don't believe yeah. what the government's saying. We're right. not going to print it. Right. What happens is that news organization yeah. loses out on that viewer. We're going to talk about uh, coming up with Hillary's uh, emails in a little bit, sort of an example of this. You know, uh, and I think because what you see is when you seek, when you seek shows that, that are funded by their audience like we are or like I was thinking of the No Agenda show or Tom Merritt show kind of comes yeah. to mind. Like there's there's some well-known now audience-funded shows. I think all of those shows you see sort of a centering where the priority is the audience and the shows where that's not the priority, you see a centering where you sort of fit the advertiser in. And on a new show like ours, that could be pretty distorted. I have an example for you, actually. Oh, you I do. do. Mm-hmm. Let's Imagine see. if the Unfilter show were to travel to another universe. You go to another reality where Unfilter was advertise-supported. AMP bomb doesn't explode like an atomic bomb. Yes, he's talking about an EMP. It is an atomic bomb, basically. But it doesn't ex- expose way high in the atmosphere. And it doesn't blow your buildings down. It doesn't burn your houses down. What it does, it makes such an electrical pulse that it shuts off. If you were flying your airplane, your airplane would fall out of the sky. Is that- they have Armageddon f- uh, a trailer of, of lights going out. They have lower thirds. Here's $1,100 one year of flood for two protection. Right, unless you've got an EMP proof, which... No one does. You fly, no. right? Yes. 3,000 3, jets in the skies over America at any moment. Look at this guy. Would all they, come down. They all literally fall out of the sky. All the motors, all the trucks, all the trains, everything that moves, all the electronics is Pace shut makers. down. Pacemakers. Pacemakers, uh, yeah. I, if anyone has a pacemaker in the audience, uh, you might start wrapping yourself in an EMP-proof suit. Uh, there's a product for you. 
There you go. See? You don't want us going down that route. Back to reality. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. <laughs> now, a little a little thing we got to discuss here, Chase. Yeah, buddy. Next week, I want to pause the show. Okay, so you you said, what do you always tell me, Chris? What Same do you always for the say? Show. You say, no, no, but you also say, it's content. Don't show waste, con- don't waste don't show content. Save yeah. for the show. That's yeah, why I always show. say that. I all right, say yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, all right, we're here. We're on the show. Yeah. We're here on the show now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, Chris. Yeah. What? Yeah. Are you thinking? So uh, I had uh, I had a little bit of a, of a come to Jesus over the weekend where I was looking I was looking at a few You're things. Chase. Conservative, nice. Yeah, and uh, I was looking. You know, one of the things I, we recently transitioned to, to including the overtime in the main show, so that way uh, everyone gets sort of all of the information. We get as much information out there as possible, yeah. and you download one file. Um, because, but really one of the other reasons was, is, so say we have a handful of unfiltered supporters, say 454 of them. Only 454. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 50 of them would download the supporter show. Okay. Right. And so the amount of work to return was pretty low. And so I started looking at different options. And so when we got to our next milestone of unlocking a secret next thing, which we had been working on for a while, and it started really as a way to take the red book. And make the Red Book online, trackable, auditable by the community. Maybe even they could make their own additions. And then from there it went, well, what if we could create ourselves something like a Mattermost server? A Mattermost server sort of like a Slack instance where we could have communities of channels, people watching news feeds, looking for clips, a Red Book channel, things like that. Um, And we started building that. And the thing is, is that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You got it. You're married to another server. You're married to managing another system, keeping it up to date. Yeah. And if I look at our past records, and I see 50 people are downloading something we set up, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm worried about low engagement. So I was thinking about retooling on the fly that milestone to a kind of like a stepping things back. So instead of going uh, full Donald Duck into like a community forum setup. Instead, dialing it way back and doing something like quarterly production meetings with via like Google Hangouts or a secret web RTC session with our patrons where we could talk about some of these things we want to do like an online red book and see if in those meetings somebody would step up, take it on, and then they would just be the owner of it. Instead of like making it like like almost like a Reddit type thing, make it more like a, yeah, this I, person is responsible for it kind of a thing. I, I like that. The the thing is that I, you know, be, being a patron doesn't always mean that they want to, you know, add responsibility exactly. to themselves, though. Which is where I think the Mattermost system probably would have fa- fallen down. It's because the way it would have worked is if we would have had people actively contributing news stories and feeds into there. But we already have a Reddit for that. Right. And the, and the other thing, too, that I think other people brought up, this is not my idea, is it would kind of be like, well, the content is now being driven by the patrons, per se. Where it, no, it would just be, in that scenario, it would have just been one more of our sources. Right, right. But, it wouldn't have been the source. Right, but, you know, they they are contributing, then they would contribute in ideas, then they Couldn't would... could you make that same argument with the subreddit? You could, but the, the subreddit, though, is, is so, I think, much more vast and bigger. I mean, there's what mm. nearly what two thousand plus uh, subs on, on the on the subreddit right now. It's a little bit more different. It's you know public. It's you know it's agnostic. It's not like there's a direct correlation between. Here's the other thing. Like, see, Meanie, Meanie Weenie in the chat room right now is is saying things like, "Why not host the Red Book on JB?" 
Red Book and Markdown format on the JB website, acting like it's you throw up an HTML page and all of a sudden you have it and you're done. I don't understand why you haven't done this. And I feel like that's the kind of contributions we would get if we have like a forum, whereas if we have like Google Hangout production meetings with our patrons and somebody starts I, talking I, to us about it, like for example, I almost think you need to have a separate contribution level altogether. I don't know. Maybe pull it, pull it, put it under the thirty-three, thirty-three level, mm-hmm. where I only want people that are going to contribute at that level that are real, that really want to like take their support into the show to the next level and be a part of those production meetings and stuff. Yeah, because I think I think I think ninety-five percent of people that are contributing to our Patreon right now are people that just genuinely want to get the show. Yeah, and they don't really care about the perks much. That's why only fifty people are downloading them. Right, uh, and they care more or eighty or something. They care more about just making sure the show goes yeah. and goes and goes. And so what happens though is, as creators, we want to attempt to create value in these different positions. So we work really hard behind the scenes. When in reality, what, to, to make these things valuable, in reality, what we want to do is work on the show. Well, well I have a suggestion. At work, you know, I had a situation uh, that actually happened today where uh, a lapse of communication caused some big heartache and confusion. And one of those things that I would suggest in this kind of scenario is, you know, we can, you know, jam back and forth uh, to our blue in the face about. Oh, geez. Exactly. What we th- what we think you know the patrons would like or not like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say on this episode post one eighty seven when we post it on on Patreon or YouTube or wherever right. It goes. But I think specifically when we post it on Patreon uh-huh. and um, say what do you think in the can, comments and have patrons contribute their ideas. Yeah, make it a Patreon only post. Yeah, because obviously we only want the patrons, and I'm you know I know there's a lot of you guys that that listen to the show, but. Really, the patrons are one what drive the show, and I want to know what they want to do. Here's what I would what they would prefer, and see what they think. Is I say we dial it back, and instead of launching the forum today, we launch more of a. So what I was thinking about these production meetings, just really quick, and then we'll move on. Like just one more minute. Yeah. Uh, Once a quarter, patrons maybe of a certain level. I don't know. Just that way, it doesn't get crazy because that would be one thing. Uh, and they, it's sort of like a health check. What are you liking about the show? What are you not liking about the show? What would you like to see us do a little differently? Uh, is it too much bell? You know, things like that that people could – so it would be a spot for sort of highly um, motivated contributors. I, I know. It wouldn't be the only thing it's about. But well, I, there could be an opportunity for that too because the other thing I want is I do want to, I do want to give them the opportunity – to talk to us. Right. It doesn't mean they're going to change the show necessarily, but because well, we still have the final decision. Well, I think you kind of have a multifaceted approach. You have the production level <laughs> meeting. More bell. More, more bell. Yeah. A multifaceted approach for, for example, mm-hmm. for those who contribute at a high level to us. I mean, the ones that are like, I call them executive producer level, kind of, you know, they're contributing yeah. $33 or more per month, right? The big con- contributions. We have those kind of like in-person, real personal kind of chats. Yeah. For the people that come in at $2 or $5 or more per month, while they're important, we can't accommodate those hundreds of people at the same time. Then we have yeah. like a quarterly survey or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we do maybe need to play with it a bit because, yeah, we wouldn't want it to be so large that it's ineffective. Right. Exactly. So, okay. We got to think about it. But yeah. so I, I will post it on the patron and see what they think. All right. And uh, on that note, I'm going to You're going to do okay. All right. And then well, on that note, you know what I'll give us? I'll What's give that? us a- uh, well, uh, <laughs> all right, break bell over. We're moving on. Yes. Let us know what you think. And thank you, everybody, for your support at patreon.com slash unfilter. We do have the overtime segment coming up where we'll be thanking new patrons that joined us. Thank you for thank you very, very much. Uh, so I've got to cover a little 2016 with you, Chase. Are you uh, ready? A little enough. 2016. By the way, did someone uh, 
time it out where we could be hitting episode 200 close to election day? I don't think so. Shut but, your face up. Well, I'm, I'm figuring the math. We're 13 episodes away right now, right? So that we're taking next week off, right? Yes. So, and we're probably going to have maybe a uh, 4th of July week off, Which, maybe. Which, by the way, I'm like hoping that, when or... we come back, we'll have a final decision on this whole patron right, stuff. Right, yeah. So, I mean, that's 13. I mean, we mean, It's going to be just before election day, I think. Looking, we could, we could, I don't know, because you know we may we may end up doing a few live shows. I mean, there are things we may not we may we may end up doing extra shows as twenty sixteen gets near gets nigh. So we will see. Yeah, uh, twenty sixteen gets as if twenty as if as if the year is in twenty. I talk about it like it's a product that we're all about to like a movie that's <laughs> about to come. Uh, all right, so I, I got to start with the, the I could have played a thousand of these clips for you this week. This is all they're talking about. So I'll play you my favorite. Oh, hold on. I said I'll play you my – you know what? We got a new movie player and I'm still learning the ropes, Chase. Oh, well, yeah. you know. It's... I'm, I'm a noob. I'm a noob, Chase. Is this right. your first time on Linux? I'm not saying I like Lester, but I'm saying I love the way this piece is written. Good evening. There is a virtual civil war being waged tonight, an inner party fracture of a magnitude virtually unheard of. In- Did you get all of this? What? Did you wow, get Lester. American politics. Yeah, all right. So, uh, yes, I'm going to play it again because that was brilliant. Good evening. There is a virtual civil war being waged tonight, an inner party fracture of a magnitude virtually unheard of in modern American politics. Lots of virtual. Shocker late today, the most powerful Republican in Congress, House Speaker Paul Ryan, said flatly he's not ready to support Donald Trump, joining some other prominent (laughs) names, including two (laughs) former presidents who say they'll stay on the sidelines. The Republican Party's presumptive nominee finding himself having to win over key members of his own party. But his response to Ryan just a short time ago may not get him there. NBC's Katie Turr has today's stunning developments. Stunning Stunning. Every single news network, I bet you if we went live right now on the news networks, I bet you, should we check? I could check. Every single news network all freaking day long today has been talking about this one issue as if it really matters all of that much. Uh, Here, I'll check in with Anderson. We'll see what Anderson's doing real quick. He's probably a commercial. That's usually what he's doing. Yeah. I am rich. Yeah, he's a commercial. In my gentleman's quarters. That's always what Anderson's doing. He's always see. That's what happens. Now let's see what let's see what Billy's doing. Let's see what Papa Bear's doing. Check oh, he's a commercial too. Well, they all got to be a commercial at the same time. Now you know they they you'd think so, but Fox often doesn't. It, that's one of the things. All right. So, anyways, continuing on. I just thought that was a little interesting distraction. That's all they've been talking about. But you got to love NBC's hyperbole. Response to Ryan just a short time ago may not get in there. NBC's Katie Turr has today's stunning developments. Katie, go. Take it, Katie. Donald Trump may be headed to Cleveland to accept the Republican Party's nomination, but the leader of the party, Paul Ryan, says he cannot support or endorse yet. I'm not there right now, uh, and I hope to, though, and I want to. But I think what is required is that we unify this party. The Speaker of the House saying Trump needs to live up to the GOP legacy. We hope that our nominee... Um, as far as to be Lincoln and Reagan-esque. It really calls into the question the future of the party. Whether or not the GOP past November will be able to be a viable national party that can elect presidents. So this entire thing calls in the viability, this virtual war, this schism. Just today, Ryan's former running mate, Mitt Romney, announced he would not go to the GOP convention, <laughs> joining both President George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush, who said they will not endorse. Today, John McCain tepidly said he'd support the party's nominee, but privately worried to fundraisers about his own re-election bid in Arizona. If it is Donald Trump at the top of the ticket, no doubt that 
this may be the race of my life. Trump is still drawing record crowds. Today, thousands waiting in the rain in West Virginia, a state filled with white working class voters. <laughs> to win in November, Trump will need to capitalize on that demographic, making Rust Belt states Obama won in 2012, like Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, turn red again while mitigating a potential loss in Arizona, a Republican stronghold, and home to a large Latino population turned off by his anti-immigration rhetoric. Trump tweeting today, I love Hispanics, with a photo of himself eating a taco bowl on Cinco de Mayo. Hillary Clinton immediately firing back with video in English and Spanish, targeting Trump's deportation plan. Late tonight, Donald Trump responded to Paul Ryan, saying he doesn't endorse Speaker Ryan's agenda. Meanwhile, Trump is about to take the stage here in West Virginia. And as you can see, this room is packed, Lester. It's just another sign of how disconnected the GOP leadership is from its base. Quite the statements made in this yeah. piece here. Quite the statements. I thought that was really something. And, of course, uh, your boy. My good friend. Bernie Sanders still standing. Another primary win for Bernie Sanders is prolonging the Democratic race. His victory in West Virginia doesn't change Hillary Clinton's overall lead, but it is one more bump in her path to the general election. Sanders beat Clinton by 15 points. It's like a foregone conclusion. I, I just love the fact, oh, well, it's a bump in a row, but yeah. she's going to be there. Yeah, that's how they're talking about it now. One more bump in her path to the general election. Sanders beat Clinton by 15 15 points, 51 to 36 percent. CBS News estimates he earned at least 16 delegates and she got at, le- at least 11. Clinton needs another 144 to clinch the nomination. By the way, Nancy- nine superdelegates, eight went to her. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was going to mention that, too. <laughs> you yeah, know, and yeah. that that's why I think the whole superdelegate thing, and regardless of whether Bernie or Hillary or the next thing, I, I really think the superdelegate thing could, should be a secret thing. It shouldn't be. I know you it, say that every week. But I man, do. I swear to God, if uh, I if if, if why if, include it? If you were sitting here, dude, and the situation was reversed, you would be same like, thing. No, "No, same thing." You'd be like, "These shouldn't be secret. We shouldn't have this big upset right at the very end. We should be knowing. What's the point of everybody voting if everything can be I held behind no. closed doors?" No, and see, we I don't. Know. Well, then the thing is, then it should just be eliminated. Had to reach over and hit your own bell for that one, yeah. sir. I mean, seriously, it I should agree. be just eliminated. I agree. It is literally a methodology for the Democratic Party to make sure that their established rulers choose who the next party candidate is and not the riffraff that yeah. the people have chosen. Totally. Speaking of riffraff, Donald Trump is getting down with the riffraff. Uh, now that he's the presumptive nominee, I think he's trying to show the GOP that he's willing to go for blood. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Miss Lewinsky. That was on my birthday. Really? Happy birthday, me. Wow. That is incredible. January 1998. Bill Clinton is furiously and falsely denying a sexual relationship with a White House intern. And one day later, First Lady Hillary Clinton blames not the president, but his political foes. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. That was the day after my birthday. Doesn't she do an incredible job of managing to say exactly the same, stay exactly consistent the way, with the way she speaks now? She, if, Her laugh's worse, though. And oh, yeah, I hate it when yeah, she yeah. yells. If you, if you, but if you didn't like have all of the 90s-esque uh, thing about the video and the audio, you would think that's Hill Dog from today. It's interesting how she's just, she's, 
She's got her persona. Clinton blames not the president, but his political foes. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband. I like how people who talk about conspiracies are nuts. They're lunatics. They're, they're uh, tinfoil hats. Oh, yeah. But then yeah. When, when Hillary Clinton talks about conspiracies, well, they're vast. It, it's only if the conspiracy fits you or not. Has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. In private conversations later, notes taken by a longtime friend say Hillary Clinton dismissed Lewinsky as a narcissistic loony tune. And while she called her husband's behavior grossly inappropriate, she said the affair was consensual and hinted it was spurred by the political pressure he faced. It was a lapse. To his credit, he tried to break it off, tried to pull away, but it was beyond his control. <laughs> sorry. No, 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 Earlier no, no, this no, no, year, no, campaigning sorry. at a no, church, no, no, no. Clinton. All right, you get the I'm idea. sorry, but the political pressure was so hard. So they, they've they've ratcheted up here. They've gotten they've gotten into this aspect of it now, which is you know a little a little ridiculous. There was a, it is it is something that haunts Hillary though. Check this out. This was at a Q and A, uh, and boy, does the dog answer this one with a, with just a poker face. Says survivors of sexual assault have a right to be believed. That's Hillary's position. Her critics summon the names of women who have accused her husband of just that. Would you say that about Johnita Broderick, Kathleen Wiley, and or Paula Jones? Should we believe them as well? Oh, and the dog's sitting there in front of everybody. She's got to answer that. But uh, but she's a politician. Well, I would say that everybody should be believed at first until they are disbelieved based on evidence. Ah, like you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, speaking of uh, evidence and being disbelieved, let's just take a moment, why don't we, and uh, deviate into Hillary's emails, because that seems like like the right thing to do. Yeah, like you, Hillary? Yeah, yeah. NBC News has confirmed that the FBI has interviewed several of Hillary Clinton's top aides in the investigation into her private email account, including her close confidant, Huma Abedin. And tonight, in his first American television interview, the Romanian hacker known as Guccifer, who was the first to reveal that Clinton was using a private email address while she was Secretary of State, makes alarming new charges. Senior investigative correspondent Cynthia McFadden went to a Romanian prison to interview him. So she travels all the way over there. Uh, but I don't, I don't feel like this is a solid piece. Uh, so this guy claims to have hacked Hillary Clinton's uh, email system. But, uh, well, you listen for the proof. When Hillary Clinton says that her server is absolutely safe, you're laughing. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yes? Yes. It's not safe. It's not safe at all. His name is Marcel Lahel Lazar. He's better known as Guccifer. Since we talked to him, he's been extradited to the U.S. to face a variety of hacking crimes against American political figures, including Clinton confidant Sidney Blumenthal. You hacked your way into the Bush family emails. You hacked your way into Colin Powell's emails. You uncovered that Hillary Clinton was using a private email. And many more. Yes. But it's his new claims that are truly explosive. Guccifer says he got into Clinton's private server itself. By running a scan, I found that server was completely unsecured. Now, I think he's talking about a, a second server. When this story first broke about Hillary, Hillary's uh, email server, right. 
You could just check her MX records, and you could see they had two servers. Let's go put it. I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Yes. You're saying the Clinton server was unprotected. No, 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 no. Yes. And you had total access to it had yeah, you wanted to download it. Yes, it was like an open orchid on the Internet, as many such servers are. Welcome, Madam Secretary. Thank you. Just this week, Hillary so Clinton creepy. told Andrea Mitchell on MSNBC the private server which she used as Secretary of State was safe. Any indication that your private server was hacked by foreign hackers? No, not at all. Clinton campaign spokesman Brian Fallon slams these new allegations. There is absolutely no basis to believe the claims made by this criminal from his prison cell. In addition to the fact he offers no proof to support his claims, his descriptions of Secretary Clinton's server are inaccurate. It is unfathomable that he would have gained access to her emails and not leak them the way he did to his other victims. You know, it's amazing if... The dog is telling the truth, and right. this is all just like an amazing propaganda campaign against her. Is she really is up against something here? I'll tell you what, though. I think there's the truth that lies somewhere in the middle. We asked several cybersecurity experts to review oh, how bizarre claims. I know who they could have asked. Watson. <laughs> or John McAfee. McAfee, <laughs> as he wipes his nose. Yeah. <laughs> Server. All concluded it was possible. Among them, former FBI cybercrime expert Chris Tarbell, who led the successful prosecution of the criminals behind the online black market called Silk Road. He cautions that hackers like Guccifer are notorious liars. But still, he says, he takes these allegations seriously. Super serious. It's plausible because he did get access to emails that allegedly came from that server. Each email has a header, and that tells you the information and the path of where that email came from. Well, and if he's wow, thank you. There you go. That seems silly to me. To go on television and admit to a felony you didn't commit seems a little silly. A source with knowledge of the investigation That's tells true. NBC the FBI review of the Clinton server logs did in fact show no evidence of hacking. But Tarbell says server logs are not necessarily comprehensive. So it may be that there is no breach that was recorded. That doesn't mean there was no breach. Correct. A source close to the investigation tells us the FBI escorted Guccifer to the U.S. and spoke to him in transit. Though tonight, several officials emphasize investigators have seen nothing yet that substantiates his claim. The investigation well, continues. Well, Chris, if there's nothing to substantiate his claim, then the, the charges will be dropped. Well, uh, right. I mean, if there's if there's nothing in, uh, I mean, in the claims, I mean, he's just admitting to stuff that he said he did. The clip is ready yet. I don't know if the clip is ready yet. Uh, but so your buddy, my, my good friend, my enemy, uh, James, <laughs> call me. Director of the FBI. James. Yeah. You know what uh, Chris said? <laughs> he was just asked today. Uh, Hillary Clinton says that this is a security review that you're doing and not an investigation. Can you clarify? Is this a security review? And he said, I've never even heard what that means. The FBI only does investigations. That to me means, well, uh, yeah, here we go. Wow, look at that. The clip is ready. The top. Well, look at that. It only did was just, it just, it just finished our processing 15 minutes ago. Let me, uh, Official at the FBI is indicating there will be no special treatment for Hillary Clinton during the investigation into her email scandal. And Director James Comey is also undercutting one of Clinton's favorite phrases about the probe. 
Here's Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harridge. Go, Catherine. Yo, Catherine. The FBI Director James Comey does regular on-the-record question-and-answer sessions with reporters known as a pen and pad. Pen because and there are no chase. cameras or audio recordings. Today, Director Comey seemed to challenge Mrs. Clinton's go-to explanation for the Bureau's investigation of her email practices. Asked by Fox News whether he was conducting a security inquiry, Comey said, quote, I don't know what that means. We're conducting an investigation. That's the Bureau's business. That's what we do. I'm not familiar with the term security inquiry, but that's the very phrase Clinton uses repeatedly, and her critics say an apparent effort to downplay the serious nature of the FBI criminal probe. There is a security inquiry going on, and, you know, we respect that. It is on its own timetable, but it's moving forward. The Justice Department has the emails, they have the server, they're conducting a security inquiry. I say what I've said now for many, many months. It's a security inquiry. Even Clinton advisor and surrogate Sidney Blumenthal, who won't say whether the FBI has questioned him, uses the same language. My understanding is that this is a security review. It's certainly not a criminal investigation. But it is an investigation. It's an inquiry. Uh, into whether or not anyone intentionally put classified information where it shouldn't be. With reports Clinton aide and lawyer Cheryl Mills walked out of a recent tense FBI interview, Fox News asked Director Comey whether Clinton and her aides would receive the same scrutiny as other government employees who hold security clearances. Comey said he didn't want to comment on the Clinton case, then added, there are no special rules for anyone under FBI investigation. Oh, that's a cold one there, Chase. That's a cold one. What do you think? It's not an investigation, Chris. It's, a it's inquiry. an inquiry. It's an yes, inquiry. Yes. Yeah, no, it's an investigation. Call me says so. Call me says so. Uh, and then, of course, there is that issue of the missing emails. New questions in the Hillary Clinton email investigation, as the State Department now cannot find any emails from the IT manager who set up the private server Wait. in Mrs. Clinton's home. What? <laughs> That's all you really need to know right there. Yeah, they did, I guess, found one. Uh, they found one Actually, and they found it through a third yeah. party, right? <laughs> what a mess. So, okay. We, How convenient, now, though, here right? We are. This is sort of all the things I really want to talk about in 2016. There's a, there's a couple other things in our 2016 segment uh, that we could talk about. Uh John Stewart calling out the Democrats was kind of interesting. Bernie Sanders having a pretty good interview on Face the Nation where he says, look, it's not impossible. I just need 65%. Uh, maybe I could find that really quick because it, 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 it turned out pretty good. Um, let's see, right? Your campaign uh, relies, it seems to me, very heavily on this idea of winning by superdelegates. In talking to your supporters over time before, months ago, they said superdelegates were unfair, it was anti-democratic. Yeah. But now the Sanders victory march relies on superdelegates. No, no, John, that's, no, that's not the point at all. What is unfair is when I win a state by 70% of the vote, and superdelegates in that state vote for Hillary Clinton because they're part of the Democratic establishment. That's unfair. What, what's unfair is before I even get into the campaign, Hillary Clinton has some four or five hundred <coughs> superdelegates who are on her side. That is unfair. But it is not unfair to say to these superdelegates, they say, OK, look, do you want to defeat Trump, capture the White House, not give it over to some right wing Republican, take a look at which candidate is better suited according to virtually every national and statewide poll, to defeat Donald Trump. And I think I am that candidate. And what if a superdelegate uh, is thinking about going to you, but Hillary Clinton won their state? Presumably they should stick I with think, Hillary Clinton. You know, look, there's not a rigid rule. But I think, you know, if you win, Hillary Clinton wins with 53% of the vote. She won Illinois by a point or two. Sure. 
But when a candidate, whether it's Clinton or myself, you know, she demolished us in Mississippi, you know, I think the superdelegates should support her in Mississippi. But when in states like Colorado uh, and in many other states, Utah, etc., we win the overwhelming majority of vote, I think those superdelegates should go with their state. And what this is really about, John, so do I. is that the American people from one end of this country to the other are asking fundamental questions about why we are the only major country on earth not to provide paid family. And so you can watch the rest yeah. of the clip. Like, you know, like Washington State, uh, I think it was 70 30. It was it was it was yeah. not it was a it was a schlocking. Yeah. And uh, all the superdelegate, all the insiders went Hillary. And, uh, and, and yeah, I. I, I whoa. Hello. Hey there, buddy. Uh, it just went down on me. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> hey now. Hey no, but yeah, no, it's it's I I think the whole structure needs to be changed. Yeah. But obviously the parties set up the structure, both parties. For a reason. For a reason that the way they set it up because they, well, they the right doesn't have it. Well they don't have the superdelegates, but they have their own contested convention and all these things. Now yeah. one real quick thing I want to play before we get done, before we get to the high note for the week, which is a doozy. Uh, Arch Linux Russian saved the show this week by recommending GNOME MPV for me to play. So this, It's been great, by the this, way. Yes, it has. This clip is uh, it's for him. Oh, this is for him. This is for him because I mentioned the John Stewart thing and he was interested in it. The door is open to an like Donald Trump because the Democrats haven't done enough to show to people that government that can be effective for people can be efficient for people. And if you can't do that, then you've lost the right to make that change, and someone's going to come in and demagogue you. What do you think of that? That's a pretty good, I thought that's a pretty good analysis. Absolutely. Of course, you know, him being a, him being a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> all right, I wanted to play uh, the, uh, the high note for you. Before we go too far, uh, did you know that there's been a new study out? A new study was released, and when a new study is out, you can rely on your mainstream media to tell you all about the important details. Uh, we'll start with perhaps maybe the most agre- uh, um, egregious CBS News. AAA is out today with a sobering report on driving high. Oh, I heard this. <laughs> I, I, you know what? This this story is one of those stories that is filtered through yep. all, all right. news agencies so, everywhere. Let's get into it, Chase. Deadly crashes are up where weed is legal. Four states plus D.C. allow marijuana for recreational use. Medical marijuana is available in 20 more. Chris Van Cleve has more on this. On this. It was not on my radar. So they start with a mom who lost me, her son. All right. Actually, have you seen this clip? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. Uh, I oh, was going yeah. to ask you a question about this clip. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it I a know. few times. I've, but, watched, I've watched this a few times. I'm but, so fired up about it. But the question I was going to have for you, uh, Chris, was is there any hard numbers or scientific data so in this see. clip. Let's see what they say. And All what right. it took to put it on my radar was the death of my 23-year-old child. It's been nearly three years since Mary Gaston's son Blake was hit and killed at a Bellevue-Washington intersection by a driver who was high on marijuana. Now, uh, by the way, marijuana was not legal three years ago. Yeah, It was laying in the middle of the intersection on the ground, um, had a massive head injury, so he was, he was bleeding out. 
In 2012, Washington became one of the first states to legalize marijuana. Wow. No, 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 no. That's not technically true. It wasn't until 2013 that we actually could start to buy it because they they legalized it, but it took a whole year before it went into effect. Now, a new study by AAA found the number of fatal accidents involving drivers who'd recently used pot more than doubled between 2013 and 2014. Okay, it's doubled. Why do you drive around smoking? You know that's not a good idea, right? Yeah, Yeah, I do. The study also found currently there is no reliable test to determine the amount of marijuana in the bloodstream that leads to driver impairment. Now, that is actually a key part of the study mm-hmm. they're discussing. In fact, it is the key aspect of the study. It is the number one actual data point of the study, the only genuine one. Currently, there is no reliable test to determine the amount of marijuana in the bloodstream that leads to driver impairment. I do have study details linked in the show notes. Jake we're, Nelson we're is the AAA Foundation's Director of Research. Logically, cannabis and alcohol are very different. And I think policymakers trying to do the right thing are trying to establish something like a 0.08 for cannabis. And there's just not science to support it. So when they actually talk to the AAA spokesperson, who AAA is the people behind the study, that's what they actually touch on, is what the valid data point in the study is. Researchers instead encourage training officers to detect drug impairment. This dash camera video shows a speeding driver cutting through traffic and struggling to maintain his lane. Now let me ask you this. Where's the weed at? I'm going to give you one chance to answer me out. I love that. One chance. Honestly, to be honest, I smoke, and I just finished smoking my marijuana, which is probably why you smell it. A 2015 federal government report found crash risk associated with drugs like pot are highly influenced by other factors, including age and gender. Scott, more than a dozen states are considering measures to legalize marijuana. Age and gender, and one other extremely, extremely important detail. All the other effing drugs in their system. Uh, It turns out that this is a bullshit report that they're running. In fact, we're going to play you more clips. If you listen, they never actually gave you numbers. They only gave you one statistic. It doubled. It doubled. Well, let's take a look at the numbers, Chase. According to the Washington Traffic Safety Commission, of 592 drivers involved in fatal crashes in 2013, 38 tested positive for cannabis. In the following year of 619 deadly crashes, the number of testing positive for cannabis jumped to 25. However, most of these drivers of the 75 also were drunk and had other drugs in their systems. In our study, we looked at all of the five years to date, 2010 to 2014, and there was never 3,000 drivers involved in these fatal crashes during that time period. Only 56 of them had THC and only THC. So from 2010 to 2014, of all of the fatal crashes, only 56 of them had only THC in their system. Yeah, but does it go to talk about in their system when? It just says in their system. Yeah, that's true. Someone could smoke. Like Mr. Black uh, could smoke tomorrow, true. and it could be in his system for up to two to three weeks. So, But the thing is, the study actually shows it's not even close to the leading cause of fatal crashes. In fact, the study shows that when it comes to accidents with drivers tested positive for cannabis, there was almost always alcohol that was involved. Uh, and so that is, I think, interesting I, in I, itself. I hate this the, these stories because we all know alcohol is legal. and Right. From the United States Department of Transportation, Bureau of Transportation Statistics. I, I pulled this up while we were doing this. Every two hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. three people are killed in alcohol-related highway crashes. And last time I checked, uh, Chris, let me uh, check the paperwork here. Let me, uh, 
All right. Uh, yeah, alcohol is legal in all 50 states. Uh, a couple other things, though. So I wanted to figure out why was it being spun like this? Is it CBS News? No, I know it's not CBS. <clears throat> no, because I, I, no, I'll get it's there. Not. Uh, it was everywhere. I think, what, honestly, actually, before we go any further, this why don't was we a leaked sh- federal report, right? Hold on. Hold okay, on. Let's, right, so I'll right. just give you an. I'll just because because I do have a theory. So because uh, that was my first thought was it was a it was a CBS story. No, nope, it's not CBS. Maybe it's a federal thing. They're pushing an agenda. Maybe, right. maybe like, I've seen this on all news outlets. No, everywhere. The number of deadly crashes hey, involving high drivers has more than doubled since our state legalized marijuana. A startling new AAA report found that pot was involved in seventeen percent of fatal crashes. Yep. So there. Oh, AAA. Okay. So then we started. Which, to by it the out. way, AAA is an insurance company. And here's NBC, of course. AAA is out with a new warning about the dangers of driving while high on marijuana and how unreliable the tests are to determine whether a driver is actually impaired. Nationwide, well, that is true. Half- that part's yep, true. Yep, yep, yep. I'll give you that, NBC Lester Holt. Did a, NBC did a better job. So here's what happened, Chase. What happened, Chris? Uh, <clears throat> and I got all linked up in the show notes. So you went to AAA? AAA had a bonanza with it. They ran. They ran the headline on their news. Fatal road cr- on their first. They are the ones that posted it. Fatal right, road yeah, crashes yeah. involving marijuana double after state legalizes drugs. Yeah, it went from like fifty nine to seventy five or whatever it was. Right, and yeah. they also created, um, of course, Autoblog and others. And I have this linked in the show notes. They created an infographic. AAA did. Oh yeah. That again only used statistics. Didn't mention the numbers. Didn't say anything about that. Uh, so yeah, <clears throat> it went from. Uh, let's see, from uh, 38 to 75. See, and, and that was after it got legalized. In Washington State, there is a legal, uh, there is a limit, I, I would say. They they set a standard of some milliliters of wa- in your blood because they yep. felt that that's the only thing because like a piss test could stay in your system for up to 30 days or longer. It's a pretty bad way to test, though. I mean, they they obviously they need to come up with a legit standard. I, yeah. I agree that, first off, I want to be abundantly clear on this, and I hope Everybody realizes this. We do not condone being impaired behind the wheel of a no, car, no matter no, what you're doing. Nope, nope, nope. And so I, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to make excuses for weed smokers out there. But that being said, if you're going to talk about these kind of things, you need to be truthful and honest with your reporting and numbers. And these numbers more than doubled what? What? Yeah, in Washington State, the percent of drivers, fatal crashes, who recently used marijuana, more than doubled. Wait, the percent of drivers. Mm-hmm. So it could have been 1%, and it doubled to 2%. One in six drivers involved in fatal crashes in the state had recently used marijuana. Now, that just means that, A, marijuana is in their system, and, B, that they had other... They also, what that should also say is one in six drivers involved in fatal crashes in the state had recently used alcohol, marijuana, and prescription pills. That's really the big one is the prescription pills. Right, yeah. Prescription pills or alcohol or yeah. – I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. Yeah, so wow. the whole uh, – okay, so you teased it. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up with this uh, uh, e-cig ban. You want to talk about this oh, real quick? Gosh. Under this rule, retailers will no longer be allowed to sell e-cigarettes, cigars, or other covered tobacco products to anyone under the age of 18. They n- I thought they couldn't and do that in the first place. Those 26 and under will require a photo ID. But – Moving forward, this rule will also allow FDA to take additional steps to protect our youth. That includes plans to issue a separate proposed rule to extend the existing flavor ban on cigarettes to cover cigars. We also intend to issue further rules that require nicotine Uh exposure warnings and child-resistant packaging for products like e-liquids. That's an important thing there, Chase. Now, you must have some thoughts on this, because you brought it up at the top of the show, right? So you must have something to think of. I don't really have a lot of thoughts. So, 
it's a little bit conspiracy-ish, but probably not too much. Oh, okay. And oh, oh. obviously, this is big tobacco. So, you know, I was in the uh, I was in the store the other day. I was in Seven uh, Eleven picking up some milk and some ice cream. Yes, I like ice cream. And you know, I'm looking at behind the counter, and they have all these big tobacco stuff, right? You know, you got Marlboro, you got Camel, you got all these things, right? And they also have their e-liquid products. Oh, there's a ton it's, it, now. It, now, they're finally getting into the business. They, at first, they kind of poo-pooed it, right? But now they're in it hardcore. But they have the money, the capital, the testing, and everything to really spurn this up. This is obviously Big Tobacco's way of holding on to their money and cash flow because people are using e-cigs to wean themselves away, right, to, from, from tobacco sticks. I don't know. I, I think it's just also a lot of people consider it just a safer way to smoke. Right, right, exactly. So what? So it, it's a safer way to smoke, right? So what happens is you have all these independent or smaller e-cig companies, device makers, things of that nature, where they don't have the big capital like tobacco does, right? Right. So yeah, yeah that's true. Right. And, yeah. So so and what they have happens? Quality issues because of that too. Right. Exactly. So what happens now is with all these regulations that are that are happening. And by the way, I don't smoke or anything. With all these regulations are happening, it's going to push those guys out. These e-cig bars are going to go away, right, or whatever. And it's it's all big tobacco protecting their pocketbook. Mm, speaking of pocketbooks, I think your analysis is dead on, as you always say, Chase. What do you always say, Chase? Show me the money. Show me the money. Yeah. Uh, Nora likes to spend money. You know Nora from the CBS News. We're going to wrap this up, this here show up, with a clip of Nora who just wants you to go out and buy, 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 buy. CNET's reviewer, who often was a guest on Tech News Today for uh, 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 Michael uh, Elgum, uh, she is not impressed by this technology at all, but she, Nora, doesn't care. I, I love this clip. I just want to share it with you, Chase. Right. This morning, our partner CNET is revealing the results of its smart home study for Ooh, eight months. The team tested more than 40 smart home products in a first-of-its-kind living laboratory. CNET.com editor-in-chief Lindsay Turntine. In other words, CNET bought a house. I got, then, I got the best home gadget if you have cats, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The little robot. All Look the way. At, this is brilliant. So real estate prices being what they are or whatever, you know, the industry being CNET goes out and buys some real estate to claim that it's a test bed for the smart home. What a well, I, I, I should have thought of that. In a first of its kind right living laboratory, <laughs> CNET.com editor-in-chief Lindsay Turrentine is here with the results. Lindsay, Lindsay good, morning. Okay. good morning. This is so fascinating. We all love it. you see that look? <laughs> you see that, Chase? Watch that reaction. Did you see that? Okay, okay. Yeah, hold on. Uh, the... First of its kind living Watch laboratory. Okay. CNET.com editor-in-chief Lindsay Turrentine is here with the results. Lindsay, good morning. good morning. This is so fascinating. We all love all this. <laughs> yeah, stuff. sure it is. a smarter home. So the first thing you tested was a Samsung Family Hub refrigerator. What did we learn from it? Now, I love as they get going here, they accidentally start talking about the Amazon Echo. And they've got the Amazon Echo mic'd up with gaffer's tape and a mic. And it just totally fails. Uh, and it throws Lindsay off. What oh, by say? the way, what do we learn from the refrigerator? Well, it can keep things cool. No, dude. This refrigerator <laughs> has like... And, and it's got... It can make ice. No, dude. And dude, um, dude. it can serve cold water. This thing has like four cameras. This is, it keeps your food no, about a couple days longer. Check this pressure. thing out. Well, we have played with this refrigerator. And it's, it's a really interesting device because manufacturers have tried to make a smart home refrigerator for Whoa. a long time mm. and nobody's been interested. Right but now. this one takes a different approach. <laughs> wow! It has a very large screen that essentially replaces 
all the little bits of paper that you would stick with magnets onto your fridge, and then has cameras inside the refrigerator so that you can see from the front of the fridge or from your phone when you're at the store mm. what's <gasps> inside the refrigerator. I want so it can this. Make grocery shopping easier. Yes, it has some online shopping built in. You can $4, order some products from the refrigerator. Uh, it also shows you your family calendars synced up on the fridge from all of your different devices. This is so stupid. So uh, that you can actually uh, use that calendar from the front of the refrigerator. It's a good-looking fridge. you got to keep it clean, though, when you have a refrigerator that looks that Whoa. good. It's pretty. Let's talk about Amazon's Echo, because I love her voice, Alexa. Mm. So it activates, but then it, they didn't have the mic turned on because, you know, it's probably picking up a ton of noise. And then Lindsay, she gets totally distracted by the fact that the thing's supposed to be talking, but you can't hear it. I love how she speaks. Yeah, Alexa, I love how she speaks. How can she help us with a smart home? Well, we use this device to set up lots of different configurations of lights See the gaffer's the tape? And yeah. actually, Alexa... <laughs> And this whole product work very well as a hub for the smart home. So Amazon has been very open about what can connect with this device. You can use it to operate your light bulbs. You can use it to operate things like garage doors. You can use it to operate fans. and music system. Music. It is a music system. The Unfiltered Show. Actually, speaking of one of the ways to listen to the Unfiltered Show. Is through your Amazon Echo. Yeah. You can have it played back to you. And also, we are now in uh, the uh, Play Store for their podcast, you know, Google oh, Music. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, we got the Yeah, so got look the, in Google Music and look for Unfiltered. Yeah, if you don't use Pocket Cast for some reason, you can use Google Play. I guess yeah. it, Pocket Cast is so much better. Use that one. I know, I Google know. Google Play is not great because no. it doesn't... Yeah, no. Now, don't worry. We're not going anywhere. The Overtime's coming up next, and uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But if you are going to wrap it up here with us, then we invite you to join us live in two live. weeks. In two weeks, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. That's right. JBLive.tv for when we do it live. Um, we love you, unfiltered patrons. We love your faces. Now, you know what happens every single day, every hour of the day, even though when we're not doing a show, and that is the unfiltered subreddit page at unfiltered.reddit.com. That's true, unfiltered.reddit.com. You should go Story there and check it out. Stories yeah. there nonstop. Yeah. yeah. Now, just because we are going to be off the air next week doesn't mean we won't be working on the show Clip collection will continue on. We'll continue organizing the show. It's really more about taking that time to get caught up on some of the back-end stuff so that way we can deliver on what we promise. So that's what we're doing next week. Patreon.com slash unfilter if you want to support our initiative. If you haven't had a chance, if you've recently become a supporter, try grabbing the BitTorrent sync. We are reworking that system right now. Uh, Producer Matt is kicking it every now and then to make sure it's syncing. If you have a really solid, scalable BitTorrent sync replacement solution, we also could be working towards replacing that. We just don't really have a solid one. Sync thing doesn't really scale when you have, you know, maybe 300 people that are going to be on there. So we need ideas. Unfiltered.reddit.com where you could submit your ideas. That would be much appreciated. Or tweet me at ChrisLIS. Or you can tweet Chase. At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Or follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to producer Matt for working on this week's episode. Thank you to our patron for supporting the show. And we'll see you right back here in two two weeks. Episode 187, Overtime has arrived. There's still more show. Stand by.
it is. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the overtime. Buckle up. We got a lot more to get to, and it's brought to you by our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. say a special thank you to Andrew, we, Brendan, Paul, Remy, Nathan, Connor, Ryan, Naz, and Isaiah. Or Isaiah? I'm not sure. And Sarah! Thank you guys for being our new patrons since last week's episode. This segment is dedicated to you and brought to you by all of our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. Different levels, you get different goodies, including the clips. Lots of good stuff this week. Lots of stuff I wouldn't be able to fit in overtime. But we do have plenty to get to, so let's get started in our overtime. You want to start with tech? With a little technology? All right, I got one for you. Let's go way back in time. Let's get in the Internet Wayback Machine. Let's look at what the Internet looked like way back in the day. Commercial services like Prodigy, CompuServe, and America Online, which pump information into people's computers through regular phone lines, now have 4 million subscribers. Oh! Well, that's just all kinds of money. That there we go. There, the the, the encoding just uh, just snapped back in there. So this is an NBC piece. You know what? I'm going to uh, jump ahead a little bit since the encoding's a little wonky there in the beginning, so that way you guys can skip past that part. So stand by. Here we go. We would take you back to 1993. Online, which pump information into people's computers. Here we go. Here we go. All sorts of online forums, message boards, and social media outlets. But back in the 90s, the 90s. idea of online communities was just catching on. The Catalfos of Berkeley, California, faced a major crisis three years ago. I'd like to use this topic for discussing leukemia, the disease, both as it affects my family and what is known about it generally. Gabe Catalfo, then seven, was diagnosed with leukemia. His father, Phil, frightened and looking for advice, decided to share his feelings with some people he'd been corresponding with over a computer network. Some he knew, most he had never met. Within a few weeks, doctors had Gabe's leukemia in remission. He's in good health now, but the show of support from his fan club continues. More than 1,100 electronic messages posted so far. Phil is a subscriber to The Well, a computer conferencing system started in 1985. The 8,000 subscribers now on The Well have formed a community of their own. In what they call conferences, they post messages on over 225 ah. topics. I think we're moving into an era where these computer communications can connect us with people across all kinds of boundaries in ways that we were not able to connect before. What happens if you can't Hippie. afford a computer at home? It's okay if you have some spare change. Another quarter in. Coin-operated computer terminals have started popping up in public places like this San Francisco coffee house. Users send electronic mail all over the globe. Cost two bits for four minutes. Letters moving at the speed of light. 
It's almost 2001, and there's already an instant connection to the whole wide world. <laughs> so I'll let you uh, listen to the rest uh, in the uh, supporter sync. It's pretty interesting. Uh, here's something that uh, I thought is sort of indicative of how poor mainstream media's tech coverage is. HBO Silicon Valley suggests that worth and revenue are not equal, but can ping pong help determine if a tech bubble is popping? Yeah, she actually does mean ping pong. The Wall Street Journal talked to San Jose, California ping pong wholesaler. He says his sales of tables rise and fall with the Silicon Valley startups that love them. In the first quarter of this year, those sales plunged as much as 50 percent. CBS News contributor and New York dot com editor Nicholas Thompson is with us to sort it all out. Hello, Nick Thompson. So <laughs> I'm not saying that things aren't bad uh, in the tech industry, in especially the VC funded era. We uh, we just talked about that in Coda Radio on Monday show, if you're curious about that. But this this approach it feels like, oh, look at those kids in their basement. They are anecdotal, but what, <laughs> what, if anything, does that say to you? Well, I thought that about was, a tech bubble. I think it's one of the most interesting data points that's come out of Silicon Valley. Oh, which my is God. That when companies are no longer enthusiastic and optimistic about the future, they stop buying ping pong tables, right? So Yahoo stopped buying them a little while ago. Twitter stopped buying them a year ago. And the number of sales to startups have started to decline. It shows that there's a little bit of a dampening of enthusiasm out there. Mm-hmm. So that clip just showed. Um, the valuation of a company is not always tied to revenue, especially yeah. in Silicon Valley. And the Wall Street Journal tallied at least 145 companies valued over a billion dollars. Yeah. What does that tell us? Well, the way Silicon Valley works is very different from the rest of the world, right? Typically with the startup Yeah, company. I'll just leave it right there. The rest of the clip in the overtime folder. But holy smokes, guys. Ping pong? No. No. I will not, I will not accept that as an answer. I will not accept that. Uh, this is an interesting little clip that Fox News played for folks. Uh, they found the State Department editing questions, and it's it's kind of bad. The State Department was rather obvious about it, too, using a, a, a bad transition and cutting out a rather important question. I'll play that clip for you. Stunning revelations this morning about a possible cover-up at the State Department. Fox News discovering video from a 2013 news conference had been altered to take out, apparently, damaging comments from the government. Welcome, everybody. Brand new hour two now of America's Newsroom. I'm Martha McCallum. And I'm Bill Hemmer. Good morning. Those edits involved a series of questions asked by our Fox chief uh, Washington correspondent, James Rosen, as to whether or not the Obama administration lied about the timing of the talks with Iranian leadership. Now, about eight minutes of video have been cut and replaced with a white flash. There are remaining concerns uh, that we have, as you it. all are familiar with, uh, whether it's their involvement uh, in support of Wait the regime in Syria it. or humanitarian issues. Uh, and so that has not changed that. The Obama administration. Oh, did you see it? It goes real quick. Humanitarian issues. Uh, and so that has not changed that. The Obama administration says we. There it was. In part of that remove video, the State Department spokeswoman Jen Psaki admits that sometimes the press needs to be misled. That was what? the suggestion what? Listen, three years ago. Is it the policy of the State Department where the preservation of the secrecy of secret negotiations are concer- is concerned to lie in order to achieve that goal? Uh, James, I think uh, there are times where diplomacy needs uh, privacy in order to progress. This is a good example of that. 
James Rosen joins us live from Washington. James, good morning to you. Good morning. So you remembered that you had asked Jen Psaki specifically about the timing on when the negotiations began between the administration and the Iranian regime for some sort of nuclear deal. And then this piece came out, this Ben Rhodes piece, which we're going to talk about in a moment, that made you go back and say, well, I asked them about that and I have that on the record. And then what happened? And we discovered, as you just said, Martha, that uh, the critical exchange between Jen Psaki and me, which went on for several minutes of, of course, expert cross-examination on my part, had been <laughs> deleted from the video archive wow, that guy. the State Department maintains on its own website. And also deleted, uh, again, with the use of that white flash, uh, on the State Department's official YouTube channel. Now, we can't call this a full-throated effort at censorship simply because uh, the transcript remained intact on the State Department's website, but an example of censorship it clearly appears to be. There is no, the State Department could not explain to me why this had been done. The State Department could not provide a single other instance where it used no, a white no. flash uh, in any of its uploaded videos like that, and flash. promised to restore the video, at Watch least on its website, flash. which it has still done, but the, the white flash remains the on the YouTube flash. channel. So let's get to the substance of what you were asking her about. Feels like he's um, always laughing at this. And some light for the viewers on why they may not want that video to be available anymore. Okay, so in February 2013, mm -hmm. I got a tip uh, that there was some kind of secret, this direct, guy. bilateral talks going on uh, between the United States and Iran at a time when such talks were not being disclosed publicly. So I showed up at the State Department briefing room in February 2013 and asked the then spokesperson, Victoria Newland. If there is any true, is it true or false that there's some sort of secret direct bilateral talks going on between the United States administration or members of it and Iran? True or false? And she said to me, Newland, in February 2013, in terms of the kind of government to government contacts you're talking about, no. At that point, those talks had been ongoing for months and months. And this is what I'll say. <laughs> Uh, and so when those talks were finally disclosed later in 2013, I showed up at the briefing room to confront Jen Psaki, Newland's successor, as you saw. All right. So one of the things that, you know, this, this Ben Rhodes, very exhaustive uh, piece on Ben Rhodes, the deputy national security advisor to the president, who claims in this story and others claim about him that he has a mind meld with the president, that they have worked on foreign policy issues very closely throughout the entire administration. Um, he says he, of his own volition, he never expected to find himself advising the president of the United States on international issues. He was, a, you know, from a writing background, was getting a fine arts degree in college, um, and then then after 9-11 turned his attention towards these issues. So he talks about the fact in this piece that in fact they were talking prior to the beginning of a more moderate regime in Iran and that they then tried to present it differently to the American people, suggesting that the American people probably wouldn't like it if they knew that we were actually talking to the more extreme regime about actually getting together on a deal, correct? Right. This was a 10,000-word profile of Ben Rhodes that ran this past weekend in the New York Times magazine. Uh, the writer David Samuels, himself a respected Washington uh, reporter, uh, has had extensive access to Ben Rhodes and quotes extensively from Ben Rhodes throughout the 10,000. Iran denies it launched a ballistic missile capable of reaching Israel, but its defense minister isn't saying they haven't launched a missile.
That vague denial came after reports the Islamic regime test-fired a missile two weeks ago with a range of nearly 1,300 miles. The latest test would be the third such launch since the U.S. and other world powers finalized a controversial nuclear accord with Iran, a deal that a top Obama administration official now says was achieved through extensive manipulation of the public and the news media. But as Chief Washington correspondent James Rosen reports, that claim is also being walked back tonight. In a lengthy New York Times Sunday Magazine profile, writer David Samuels quoted extensively from Ben Rhodes to portray the White House Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications as uniquely powerful in shaping President Obama's foreign policy. Now, you might be wondering if you're new to the overtime, why are we, we've talked about this already in the main show, why are we covering this now? Why are we talking about this right now? Well, that's a great question. One of the things we like to do in the overtime is give you additional context more information. And if you listen to these clips carefully, which I hope you are, uh, you'll notice they give you different bits of information each time. And so the whole philosophy behind the overtime segment is if you want to benefit from some of the additional research and collection we've been doing, stick around and listen. And you get you know a little taste of what our job is, and we kind of listen together. And you walk away with more context. So next week when we talk about it, or if we only briefly mention it, you have more information about what's going on. As contemptuous of the press and foreign policy establishment, and as downright deceptive in selling the Iran nuclear deal. There is no evidence that that ever occurred, and what I would encourage you and other critics of the deal to do is to look at the facts. Samuels accused Rhodes of pegging the deal to the election of Iranian President Hassan Rouhani, a supposed moderate, when the administration in fact launched direct talks with Iran long before that event. Writing on Medium.com, Rhodes said the fact that there were discrete channels of communication established with Iran in 2012 is something that we confirmed publicly. But that's not true. The talks were underway for eight months at the time of this exchange. There have been reports that intermittently and outside of the formal P5 plus one mechanisms, the Obama administration uh, or members of it have conducted direct secret bilateral talks with Iran. Is that true or false? With regard to the kind of thing that you're talking about on a government to government level, no. We made a concerted effort to provide information about the deal to push out facts, Rhodes wrote, but Rhodes himself appears to have misled the public about the substance of the deal. Under this deal, you will have uh, anywhere, anytime, 24-7 access as it relates to the nuclear facilities uh, that Iran has. I can tell you I never uttered the words anywhere, anytime, nor was it ever part of the discussion that we had with the Iranians. I remember Ultimately, that clip. The Iran deal included anywhere, anytime access only for Iran's declared nuclear facilities and not for suspicious sites such as the military base at Parchin. Conservative foreign policy analyst Michael Rubin is the author of Dancing with the Devil, The Perils of Engaging Rogue Regimes. Every administration since the Johnson administration has lied to the public in order to keep diplomacy alive. This isn't lying about the negotiations themselves. This is lying about the result of those negotiations. This is lying Late today, we discovered that the State Department's video of its December 2, 2013 press briefing, at which I confronted spokesperson Jen Psaki about the false statement made by her predecessor, Victoria Nuland, the one you saw in my story tonight, has itself, with the use of a white flash, been deleted from both the State Department's official website and from its YouTube channel. In that exchange, Saki effectively admitted that the administration had lied to me because the diplomacy needed, quote, privacy. The State Department told me just moments ago it cannot explain this deletion and is working to restore the excised material. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. 
always good little extra bits in there, isn't there? Hey, while we're playing the media game, hey, that's what we're always playing. How about a little peek inside North Korea? Huh? Huh? Since 2011, the leader of North Korea has put a bloody grip on power by executing a hundred party leaders and generals. How about that for an intro, everybody? Huh? Nobody does it like old Scotty boy. I've been really respecting Scott this week. He's been really up in the ante on his intros this week. They've been real solid propagandists. On power by executing a hundred party leaders and generals. (laughs) Well, now Kim Jong-un will be coronated this week at a rare party congress. And to celebrate, North Korea allowed our correspondent, Adriana Diaz, a rare visit, which made her homesick for freedom of the press. Uh is pint-sized propaganda. They spent the morning singing songs, praising the country's leaders. You can see their photos up on the wall. There's no escape from their watchful gaze. Billboards, meeting halls, they hang in homes like religious icons. Retired teacher Hong Sang-suk told us it's just a part of life. By having their photos on our walls, they're always with us, she said. We can repay their warm love and care. Every detail of our trip is choreographed. Our government guides decide what we see and who we talk to. Our first stop was a farm cooperative, a pet project of President Kim Jong-un. It's a carefully chosen site for Western eyes in a country that's faced famine and food shortages worsened by economic isolation. Farmer Kim Hak-bao. Hostile countries like the USA do not think well of our country and impose sanctions on us, he said. So we're cultivating our own food with our own hands. Despite the government's emphasis on farming, the U.N. said last week that food production here fell 9 percent last year because of drought. Scott, that stands to make this country's already fragile food situation worse. Asia correspondent Adriana Diaz in the North Korean capital of Pyongyang tonight. Adriana, thank you. You know, the way he does that, it reminds me of the family guy joke. Asian correspondent. Percent last year because of drought. Scott, that stands to make this country's already fragile food situation worse. Asia correspondent Adriana Diaz in the North Korean capital of Pyongyang tonight. Adriana, thank you. I know he's saying Asia correspondent, but it just reminds me of that family guy. Skit. I can't help it. What can I say? All right, I've been delaying it. I've been trying to do you a solid and avoid the topic, but it's time to get to a little 2016. little 2016 overtime stuff. I know, I know. All right, Charum, you get to pick. You get to pick, Charum. Would you like to see Rob Reiner's meltdown on Morning Joe or Bernie Sanders, quote-unquote, nailing it on Face the Nation, as our subreddit put it? Bernie Sanders nailing it or Rob losing his crap? You guys pick. Rob losing his crap or Bernie nailing it? Charum, you tell me. I'm up to you. We got Rob. We got two Robs. We got two Robs. Now, producer Matt knows the clips, and he's voting Rob. Wow. Wow. Really? Really? All right, let's start with Rob. We'll start with Rob. We'll go from there. All right, here we go. Let me ask you. um, Yes. Are you going to 
be in charge of the Hollywood super PAC for Donald Trump. Yeah. Have you already formed I've, that? I've, you see, I'm one of the few guys, the few Democrats, because very few people, they say, well, are the Republicans going to coalesce behind Trump? I'm actually, I burned my Democratic uh, card. I'm now going to be a Trump. No, what are you, crazy? <laughs> I, I, the I, guy's I, a lunatic. I, I didn't know if you were a Bernie guy or not. No. You were a Hillary. You're a Hillary. No, I'm a Hillary. Yeah, I, I, I supported Hillary. So what would you say? We just, uh, we, we were just talking about how some progressives have concerns because, you know, she's seen as an interventionist. The New York Times magazine wrote an article about it. She's an interventionist. Obviously, on trade, she's not lined up the way Bernie Sanders and other progressives wanted to be lined up. What's your message to Democrats, uh, progressives, the, the need to unify by Hillary? My, my message to Democrats is very simple. First of all, number one, Hillary is the most qualified person to be president in my lifetime, and I'm pretty damn old. And secondly, Donald Trump. Those are the two things you have to think about. And I just ran into uh, Casey Hunt in the hallway, mm -hmm. and she's done a great job. And all yes, MSNBC. Now I love this. I love what he's about to do here. He's about. He gets awkward. It gets awkward. And and Joe doesn't necessarily play the good host, but he's about to call the media for not asking Trump certain questions. The whole thing is pretty interesting. Reporters have been covering, yeah. you know, yourself included, have done a great job. But we know, and we all know, and you're not quite as old as me, but you're I'm pretty there. damn old. I'm really <laughs> old. I'm getting there. We know that since the late 60s, uh, when 60 Minutes became a hit, right. all of a sudden, networks realized that there was a profit center in news. And we all know that. And slowly, slowly, slowly. Now, this is a talk show and this is, you know, we're having conversation. It's not hard news. It's not claims to be hard news. And yet hard news is presented. But the show of it. I've got to say, it's a lot harder news than almost anything. Else. It probably is. Yeah. It probably is. Yeah. But it, the, 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 Walter Cronkite is no longer with No, us. no. But the Go show ahead. part of it right. is getting bigger and bigger, where show business and 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 news have blurred. My, now, let me tell you something. But wait, hold on. Hold on. No, no. no I've got to get to the fast. point, though. No. When because I, when we're going to do when, what Donald no, Trump does no, to everybody I'm not. else. I just got to say, talk when over. I was tap dancing yeah. and I, I, I had the Gary Glitter outfit on, that was not show business. I was making a point. Yeah. Right? Oh, I didn't see that one. No, go okay. Go yeah, yeah. I <laughs> never did it. Go no. ahead. Uh, no, but, but what I'm saying is we, we, we have to start, you know, and you had Bob Woodward on your show at one point. Yeah. And I, he was fascinating. I, well, I remember him saying, we have to hold these people accountable. Right. We have to ask those tough second, third, fourth, and fifth tier questions. Chris Matthews. Did, well, did you wait, see what happened wait, when, wait, wait, when wait. we let Woodward ask the second, third, fourth, and fifth questions? Well, I, I don't. Same exact thing that happens to everybody else. It doesn't I, matter. It doesn't matter. I know. It doesn't matter. Chris Matthews held Trump accountable right. on his position on abortion. He right. didn't let him up. Right. He kept going at it, and it was the most revealing thing that happened during this entire campaign season. Mm -hmm. the, the words that have been flung out from his mouth to right. the, to the, are insane. If, if, if he was not a celebrity... Mm -hmm. If Donald Trump was not a celebrity, right. the words that come out of his mouth, would you'd see a guy in a park, a lunatic in a park on a soapbox, and you'd walk right by him. But the fact that he is wow. a celebrity. What do you think of that, chat room? What do you think of that, that we only give him credit because he's a celebrity? And the mainstream media likes this line so much. They've been having Rob back to say this over and over again the last couple of days. Matthews held 
Trump accountable right. on his position on abortion. He right. didn't let him up. Right. He kept going at it, and it was the most revealing thing that happened during this entire campaign season. Mm-hmm. The, the words that have been flung out from his mouth to right. the, to the, are insane. If, if, if he was not a celebrity, mm-hmm. if Donald Trump was not a celebrity, right. the words that come out of his mouth would you'd see a guy in a park, a lunatic in a park on a soapbox, and you'd walk right by him. But the fact that he is a celebrity, all of a sudden, we're all interested. And you know, I love Steve Kornacki. I love the guys that work on your on right, your show. Right. But when Steve Kornacki says, "Can you imagine the ratings they're going to be when Trump and Hillary in the first debate?" Well, yeah, of course they're going to be rated, but who cares? Right. What we have to care about is what does this man say? Yeah. Well, which what does he say? Which of course we do. He's not pinned down. I want to hear how he's going to so, deport Ra- 12 million people. Ra- Ra- I want to hear how he's going to. How is you're he going to wait? Trump finish because you're just talking. You're not uh-huh. letting anybody else talk. I- we have asked. You're our guest on your show. On our show, we asked you to come here to talk, and all you're doing is talking. You're being totally Donald Trump, even though that's your line you just used like a minute ago. Those questions. I could. I would bet you your proceeds from your next 20 films that I could <laughs> find you any question that you bring up now about the wall, which me could try to nail him down. Uh, Bob the the, the Muslim ban. We gave Bob yeah. Woodward 20 minutes. We said, and, go for and, it. And what he does Ask. is he talks around in circles. So the questions are okay, asked, so, so, and they're repeated. No, and we've I, asked repeatedly. Okay, so then the so, next question is, yeah? Why are you talking around in circles? Right. Why are you not answering my do. question? Yeah. Yes, we've asked that question. And then what does he say? He says, I am. Believe me. Yeah. Well, even when that's not... Says, wait a minute. Let me, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be you. I'll be you. Before, I, I, believe me is not an not answer. Believe me is not an answer. That's what I said okay, to then, him. Okay, then what does he say? He, sa- he keeps going on and, on and on and on in circles. Okay, and then, you act like you have some special thoughts that you think we're not adding to this This is what everybody thinks. And it's one of the great frustrations. (laughs) Aren't they adorable? Aren't they adorable? Should we keep going? Do you want any more? You tell me. Are you done? Because they go on. I know the hosts are really something, aren't they? It is. It's fascinating to watch because it's the media attempting to struggle with their own relevance in regards to reaching the Trump supporters. It is them getting called out for not asking the right questions. It's really quite brilliant. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right, you asked for it. Of covering Donald Trump, people say, you know, you should really you should, ask him. You I go, be well, we did. I'll send you the clip. You know, you should really fact, ask him this. We're going to make and him so a little finally, and We will. So finally, you say, will. would you like me to actually get on top of him and, and like pin him down with my Maybe knee? I should oh, stick geez. my heel down his throat. I mean, and- yeah, because you're just asking so many tough questions. You're out. We're not being fair. Tell him is, he's not answering the question. Would that make you feel good? Is that not one of the frustrations that people always come say, well, why didn't you ask him this? Well, I did. And... This is what he said. It is an ongoing frustration for us. Well, I I understand it is a frustration. Then at the end of it, at the end of it, all you can say is the voters are deciding. No, no, no. Clearly, you have no interest in answering these questions. And I uh, it's it's, it's unfortunate for the American public because they deserve the answer. You know what I should do? You know what I should do? You know what I should do? I should hang up on him. All right. Oh, wait, I did. Can I ask you a question? What's Hillary Clinton's position on the $15 minimum wage? What's Hillary's? Yeah, because I'm not I'm not part of her campaign. I can I can discuss what her position is, but it's not 
something that will be understood very easily by the general public. But we can talk about it, which is she she is in favor of ultimately having a fifteen uh, a fifteen dollar minimum wage, but she understands that in certain areas of the country it won't be viable. So she supports it when it can be viable, but she's looking for the national $12 million, a $12 minimum wage. You know, now, talk, it's difficult to talk about those things, that takes a long but that time. is the you truth. Know, you're talking around it. It's obvious that you don't want to answer the question. No, 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 no. He asked me the, what it is. I'm giving now, that's what you told reason. us we should say to Trump. No, no, but I did answer the question. I'm just joking, Rob. I'm just joking. No, I know, but but I'm not joking. That's the difference. That's the difference. The difference is I'm the what comedian who's not joking, <laughs> and you're the you're the news politician who is joking. Yes, exactly. I'm just joking, Rob. I'm just joking. No, I know, but but I'm not joking. <laughs> that. That's the difference. I'm not joking. That's the difference. The difference is I'm the what comedian is who's not joking, <laughs> and you're the you're the news politician who is joking. Yes, exactly. There's, there's the difference. Do you think Trump has a zero chance of winning? No, I don't think he has a zero chance. Really? What would put the odds at? Like, what well, I, I don't know what the odds are. I do believe. It's however, obvious you don't want to answer the question. Go ahead. No, well, no. I don't know. This I don't. I don't no, have I'm the, joking again. I don't, so so I don't have the answer. What I do believe is that <laughs> if he is held accountable and if the press does their due diligence right. and continue, I'm not saying you guys didn't do it. I'm, by the yeah. way, well, you yeah. did. But, no, I didn't. But now we're back. No, I didn't. I didn't say you specifically. Right. I'm talking about in general. So, and and maybe you have done. Have. And I'm saying continue to do that. And if you do your due diligence and you continue to do that, he will lose. Because there's nobody in America that would agree with the idea that all Muslims should be banned from the country. We, 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 I, I, nobody. I, I, by, by the way, I just said an hour and a half ago, I could never like. vote for a candidate that said they were going Willie. to ban over a billion people Willie. based on their beliefs. And good. We, well, and, that's good. And we I, asked yeah, him about that again yesterday, for the record. Good, good. Let, me, let me ask you, how do you explain as much as we like to think that the entire country watches the show every morning we, we dictate how people vote how a lot of people do watch the show and it is kind of a news show of record it is it is yeah. it, that that is true yeah. but how do you explain the millions and millions of people who do not watch this show who actually like what they hear from donald trump and aren't taking messages and orders from us in the media but they listen right. to what he says for themselves and vote for him how do you explain that well there there are a lot of people who are racist oh my god country. did you just I'm say not, that i'm not saying no you just said that well that's true oh and that is one hell of an end of a rant right there if you want to watch the rest of that clip you can find it in the supporter sink uh because it's a doozy it's a doozy uh hey there mr chase how's it going buddy hey man hey there hey there hey howdy so uh, I saved a couple clips for you. Oh, uh, you saved something for me? I did. Uh, did you? Did Why'd you, you wrap this? them? That looks <laughs> weird. Why is it shaped like uh, that? Well, it's a dildo. Oh, I mean, uh, hold on a second here. No, no uh, it can't be. It's too big. So there was a clip that didn't make the cut last week in the show, and it was just a publicity stunt of Obama drinking Flint water. Did you see this? <laughs> so here's Obama. There you go. You know, generally I have not been doing stunts here, but, you know. He takes the tiniest sip of water I have ever seen, right? By, by the way, full disclosure, you know you know, the Secret Service. You know, they, they yeah, test. they screen everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually, they had a taster, a certified presidential taster. Oh, yeah, taster. they have to. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, but watch this. Okay, so watch this. Uh, so just watch this sip here. Well, okay, so he is taking, I mean, this is this is the most daintiest presidential sip I've ever seen. Watch this. There you go. You know, generally I have not been doing stunts here, but, you know. 
And uh, this used uh, a filter. Um, you know, the water around what? this table uh, you know, was Stop for water. a minute. Stop, stop, stop. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm laughing at? What? The fact that I got super quiet all of a sudden? Well, no, not that part. But what? Do you see his nameplate? The president. The president. <laughs> You're right, dude. That is good. I mean, it's not. That is good. Pre- like Barack Obama, and they should have no, on, the, on the lower third. They just, the just reused that States. one, dude. They just want to be able to. Yeah, reuse they that just re- <laughs> So that was uh, that was last week, but it didn't they get any traction. It. So uh, it's guess vodka, what? by the way, too. Today. By the way. So it's, guess what? You got to sip the vodka, the Grey Goose. Uh, yeah. So uh, that didn't get any traction. The, the mainstream media really didn't give it enough coverage. We did, we decided not. to I cover heard it on the radio, and I was just like, man, it got it got it caught one news cycle, right? And Barry was going for at least a double news cycle. So what did he do? Went for it again. Went Today, for it again. Barack Obama gave the good housekeeping seal of the president to the troubled waters of Flint, Michigan. Ah, that's tasty. Scott has been on point with his intros all week. Uh, and not only is it dainty sips, but uh, this whole thing is ridiculous. Jerika Duncan is there. Jerika Duncan is there. I'm going to have to get some more water. I'm can can I get thirsty. some water? See this? You see? Oh, what? my God. I know, I know. Come and what's, on. What's so great is both times he makes a reference to how he's not about doing, the, he's above doing these kinds of stunts. My VLC hates me. Look at this. My VLC is actually, uh, we we just got confirmation. Scott Pelly is not real. Oh, <laughs> That's that's actually <laughs> Chris. That's yeah, that's, a, that's confirmation. That's, yeah, okay. that's confirmation. I thought so. <laughs> See, can, can he cleared up. Before a crowd uh, of a thousand, I really didn't need a glass of water. This is not a stunt. Uh huh. Except Wait, for he just you did this said that last time. Well, he said you that said too. that. He said that last time too, which makes it like so obvious, Mr. President. I know. I know. President Obama. And again, it's a tiny, 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 tiny sip. It's a tiny sip. But took a sip of Flint's filtered no, tap water, assuring the people there that this he cares. I've got your back. Not too long ago, I received a letter. The president singled out eight-year-old Mari Kopany. Mr. President. She wrote him a letter in March expressing her concerns about the water. Now, this is the twist. How would you describe the Flint water? See, once you get the media's attention, then you really get a story around it. Then you get a story. It's nasty. Why is it nasty? It gives you better rashes and headaches. Flint's water crisis began two years ago after the city switched its water supply from Detroit to the Flint River to save money. The water wasn't treated for corrosion causing lead to leach from aging pipes. Three government workers have been charged with misconduct mm-hmm. and conspiracy to tamper with evidence. One of them was arraigned today and uh-huh. pleaded no contest. Which means he's guilty. No officials now say filtered tap water is safe. Many, like Paris James, don't believe it. When they said it was okay, it wasn't really okay. The single mother's daily routine begins at 6 in the morning. Her three children get ready for school using bottled water. She drives them 20 minutes outside of Flint to her parents' house to bathe. So you refuse to pay your water bill? Mm-hmm. Why well, pay for poison? Hmm. To date, the city has handed out more than 24 million bottles of water and over 100,000 filters. Scott, the mayor here, says she wants to replace all of the pipes. But right now, there just is not enough money to do that. Jerika Duncan reporting. Jerika, thank you. Thank you. So there you go, Chase. And uh, maybe one more just to wrap us up. Man. Everything you suspected, everything you knew about Facebook is true. It's uh, not legit. It's, it's not, left-leaning, right? It's, yeah, it's super <laughs> left-leaning, uh, as this clip explains. 
So the RNC unliking Facebook, you could say, after a report claiming that the social media site hides conservative news posts from its users. The RNC now hoping to get the story to this story to trend with the help of a new hashtag. Oh. Senior correspondent Adam Housley joins us now live in Los Angeles. So, Adam, what did Facebook allegedly do that has upset Republicans and many conservatives across the country? Well, it actually is fed what they believe has been going on all along. But coincidentally, Martha, this story is now trending on Facebook. Which <laughs> Chase, there you go. Which is ironic because I thought they would put us up there. So <laughs> this story is now made irrelevant. Damn it. There you have. We have actually a lot more clips in the overtime in the supporters thing. Thank you to our patrons for making the overtime episode possible. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us this week. Really Holy appreciate smokes. it. You know it's what been, I mean? Yeah. It's been a big episode. Huge. And uh, don't forget, next week, check the calendar, different recording schedule, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Thank you to our patrons. Thank you to everybody. We love you. Love you guys. Let's go to See you guys later. Bye.